Our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I haven't always been a fan of uh, rap music, but a few years ago, my younger brother got me into a guy named Chance the Rapper. Anyone ever heard of Chance the Rapper before? Yeah? Uh, the song that hooked me was a song called Sunday Candy. It's a soulful tune dedicated to his grandma, who always gave him a piece of candy on Sunday morning. And so he thanks of his grandmother as his Sunday candy. Uh, and it's, a, it's an interesting way of like, talking about how he got connected to church and to God through this relationship with his grandmother. Now, not all of Chance's songs are appropriate. He's got quite a few that aren't. Uh, but there's some profound truth and beauty in his music. I really love uh, a lot of his music as he sincerely wrestles with faith in his life. And you can see it permeate his music as well. There's another song he wrote called Blessings, where he turns some of the stereotypical kind of things about rap and hip-hop music, uh, those themes of like self-centeredness and wealth, on their head. Uh, as he sings, it seems like blessings keep falling in my lap. You at first might think that he'll start into all his hit songs and how he's doing so well and how much money he's making. But instead, he says, I know the difference between blessings and worldly possessions. Like my ex-girl getting pregnant and her becoming Talking about this like unexpected thing that happened in his life that turned out to be this incredible call into something new and profound and different. Sometimes we find truth in unexpected places. Music and media doesn't always have to be explicitly labeled as Christian to point to God. Chance found blessings and truth in a life that he wasn't planning for. Now others can find blessings and truth in his music and life. Well, this morning we read a passage about another guy whose luck changed when unexpectedly becoming a father, right? Joseph, an engaged man who had his entire world turned upside down when he finds out that his fiancée is pregnant and that he is not the biological father. Yet, Joseph's story is about an unexpected gift. It was unexpected for him, unexpected for Mary, and although the people of Israel were waiting for the gift of the Messiah, the way that it came about was certainly unexpected for them as well. This gift came in the form of Jesus, who was called Emmanuel, God with us. This morning, I want to talk about that simple phrase, 
God with us. And break it down word by word just to see how powerful it is. First things first, God with us. My uh, Paul Paul's name is Dorsey Curtis Brown. He passed away when I was pretty young, but he, uh, he made an impact on a lot of people. And so people would tell stories about him quite a bit. They'd always say, you're Paul Paul's good man. Uh, but here's the thing, right? When people uh, talk about your family members, especially when they're talking to a, to a child, they don't often use their first names, right? They say, like, uh, your grandpa, your papa. Uh, so my papa was just that, my papa. Now, uh, there were rare occasions when someone, like my mom, might mention his name, but I grew up in Appalachia. And the accent there can be a little bit thick sometimes. So when people said Dorsey, what I heard was Dorothy. And I remembered at the time thinking, huh, is that supposed to be a girl thing? But I mean, I wasn't going to question it. That's my grandpa. And I even told people about it. Yeah, my, my grandpa's name is Dorothy Curtis Brown. And they'd say, isn't that a girl's name? And I'd say, hey, that's my grandpa. I think I'd know, right? Anyway, so I was on a walk with my mom at some point and talking about it. And I mentioned this uh, uh, ongoing frustration and conversations with people. And she just stops in the middle of the walk and says, your, your grandpa's name is not Dorothy. It's Dorsey. I was home visiting from college at the time. <laughs> 20 plus years I've been mispronouncing my own grandpa's name. We all have beliefs assumptions about the world that we can kind of carry with us sometimes. And we often don't question where they come from or why we believe them or, uh, or, or anything like that. We don't even know that it's not correct until they're tested. So we smack up against something that, uh, that changes our way of seeing it. Before Jesus came, the Jewish people, they had all sorts of beliefs about when and how Messiah would come and what it would look like. These were all based on prophecies that had been given hundreds of years prior and the ways that they understood that, have heard that over the years. In the Gospel accounts, uh, they make sure to trace out exactly how Jesus' birth confirms and fulfills these prophecies. The interesting thing, though, is that some of these prophecies are fulfilled in some strange and unexpected ways. In particular, the virgin birth. While the Jewish people would have been expecting the Messiah to come from Bethlehem, they, uh, they would not have necessarily interpreted Isaiah's prophecy to mean that Messiah's mother must be a virgin. The Hebrew word for, uh, uh, for that's translated as virgin here is Alma. It can simply refer to a young maiden, although a young unmarried virgin does indeed also fit within that definition. So somewhere over the years, the interpretation uh, may have... Uh, no, it, it, it obviously did change that in light of what, what the way that Jesus was born. But if that was what they were expecting, they were expecting an actual virgin birth, perhaps they would have, it would have been different and less difficult for Joseph to explain this to everyone else or for Mary to explain it to anyone else. But instead, they had a hard time wrapping their heads around this because they had expected uh, this interpretation in a different way. Now, this is important for us for this reason. You may have heard that it's important to us to believe in the virgin birth because it accounts for how Jesus can be fully divine and without sin, even while he's fully human. And this is true. 
But I think that perhaps the most compelling reason for us to believe in the virgin birth isn't just that uh, it was a prophecy that the gospel writers had to kind of fit Jesus into, but instead that it was it's just what happened. And they had to talk about it. And later, they look back on all these prophecies, and they say, look at how all of this matches The Jewish people weren't expecting God in human flesh as Messiah. They were just expecting God to raise up a leader. The claim that the Messiah would be the Son of God was foreign to Judaism. Not only that, but it was unnecessary and utterly blasphemous. That's why I think the evidence for the gospel message of incarnation is so compelling. Because there wasn't any reason for Jesus' followers to just make it up. Instead, they encountered the truth of Jesus. They just, their entire world, their entire worldview was changed based on that encounter. They weren't trying to fit Jesus into a prophecy. They instead had their lives shaped by him. They insisted that Jesus was, in fact, God in flesh, and they were willing to die for that belief. That alone should make us think twice before uh, talking about Jesus as merely a moral teacher or a prophet. For C.S. Lewis's uh, teaching that Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is, in fact, Lord. His followers were either duped, crazy themselves, or they were so captivated by this truth that they could do nothing else but believe. God is with us. Jesus truly is God. Not in just some profound or, or spiritualized sense of God on our side. He literally came down and humbled himself to live with and among us. Transcendent, holy, completely other than. His ways are higher than our ways, God. Made himself a little less other than, but no less holy. God is with us. And God is with us. God chose to invite people like Joseph, Mary, and the disciples, and us, into the redemption story. Our God had the habit of doing this, right, of, we're inviting us into this journey of restoring the world. Just like Joseph, we're encouraged to live righteously so that we can play a part in the salvation of the world. Joseph is one of those people, just a regular guy with a great heart who gets put into the most ridiculous situations, yet somehow manages to make the best possible decision at every turn. Anyone here seen Stranger Things? You're my guy for today, Adam. <laughs> as well. Uh, if you're a fan of the show Stranger Things, uh, Joseph is a lot like Bob Newby from season two. Bob starts out dating Joyce Byers, having no idea that she and her two boys are wrapped up in the weirdest, most tangled scenario of monsters, parallel dimensions, uh, big science corporations that are trying to cover everything up. And when he finally does get let in on their big secret, he does everything he can to protect that family. If you haven't seen Stranger Things, Joseph is kind of also like Samwise Gamgee. Also, coincidentally, played by Sean Astin, the same actor, right? Uh, Sam is Frodo Baggins' best friend who gets swept up into this adventure to destroy the One Ring, to rule them all, before it all falls apart in the evil hands of Lord Sauron. Uh, Sam has no idea what he's doing the whole time, but there is no way that Frodo would have made it to the end without Sam. My point is this, if they ever make a film, another film adaptation of an nativity story, I would fan cast Sean Astin to play Joseph. Right? 
obviously I'm getting here. Uh, I got to talking about Chance the Rapper earlier. That was uh, a reminder of my younger brother. My older brother always fan-cats people for things, and so this was an illustration for him. If he ever listens to this sermon online. Uh, but my actual point is this. Joseph shows us we can make a huge difference for God's kingdom, even when we are far from being the main character of the story. Bob Newby and Samwise Gamgee are not the main characters of their stories. The same way Joseph, he's just the guy that things happen to by virtue of the relationships in his life. The only reason he gets wrapped up in this story at all is the fact that he's engaged to Mary. We get a glimpse of his character first when we find out that his original plan uh, was with the information at his disposal, right? When his fiance turns up pregnant and claims that it's a miracle child, it says that he planned to cut off the engagement quietly to avoid harming or disgracing Mary. Remember that the culture at the time gave women no rights. The consequences for adultery were such that Mary could have been stoned again to death uh, or at the worst, or at the very least, shunned and spat upon. So even before Joseph has heard anything from the angel, he plans to do the most honorable thing one can imagine. But when he does hear from the angel in a dream, he immediately is is obedient in a way that would have been even more difficult. He's spoken to in a dream, not even an in-person encounter like uh, in the daytime, like Zechariah or like Mary had. But he hears in a dream and he makes the choice to stand on Mary's side. No matter what it might mean to his reputation or to his relationship with his family. And God uses Joseph. We don't hear much about him after the fact, but you can imagine the impact that Joseph had upon Jesus' life. I think in particular of the uh, passage with a woman who was caught in, in adultery, right? The religious leaders bring her to Jesus and ask what should be done. And Jesus simply tells them that the person without sin should cast the first stone. One by one, they walk away. And Jesus, the only one there who actually is without sin, he chooses not to condemn her and instead offers forgiveness. In many ways, that was already within the character of Jesus because he embodies the grace of God, literally. I also can imagine images playing through Jesus' head of family members and folks from his village casting judgment on his mother or talking behind their backs. All the while, Joseph is showing nothing but grace, honor, integrity, and understanding. God could have brought Jesus into the world in any number of ways, but God chose to give Joseph the immense honor and responsibility of raising Jesus. God can do all things, and yet, in his unfathomable love, God chooses to go on this journey with us, to invite us into the process, and that we actually make an impact on the grand narrative of all of creation. I wonder what God is inviting you into today. I wonder how we'll respond to that invitation. So, the Christmas message means that God is with us, means that God is with us, and you might get the last bit, that God is with us.
The fact that Christ came the way that he did is evidence of God's commitment to be present with us in the messiest of circumstances. We often picture Mary and Joseph getting turned away by various different innkeepers. That's how we often uh, act out the story or in our children's storybook Bibles. But, but that may not actually be true to the text, right? Some translations in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, when it tells us the story of uh, them going to Bethlehem, it says that they had no place to stay in the inn. They couldn't find an inn. Others don't say that, um, depending on which versions you have. The NLT says lodging, uh, NIV says guest room, and the NASB and the KJV, it is in. Um, some less popular translations of that same word are living quarters or room for strangers. Uh, the Greek word behind that is katalumati, uh, which can mean a lodging place or an inn, but it more usually refers to the guest room built onto a house. It's this idea of extra quarters onto a home that's specifically for hospitality. There's some strong contextual clues, I think, that uh, support this reading over and in. Uh, first one being, if you'll remember, the whole reason that they're traveling to Bethlehem to begin with is why? There's a census, right? There's a census, then they have to go back to the place of their, uh, their lineage, their hometown, in order to be counseled together. And Joseph and Mary both are from the line of David. So they're going to the city of David you would presume that they are not the only ones from the line of David who are going to the city of David. Right? They have many family members who either live in the area or who are going at the same time to the same place. Everyone's supposed to go to the same place. Now, if Joseph is from the line of David, it would seem incredibly likely that he either would have connections that he could make arrangements with on the way or that he could find somebody on the way. Hospitality is huge in Middle Eastern culture, especially among family relations. So all he really needed to do was to appear at some distant relative's home, recite his genealogy, which we have already seen last week, right, in Matthew chapter 1, and he would have been welcomed. It makes sense that a lot of rooms would have been booked up in inns if folks were traveling for important cities, uh, to their, their home cities for the census, but it doesn't make any sense that a family relation would have turned away an expectant mother who's on the verge of getting birth. What is, right? Why are not they not able to find a place? I should suggest there's two possibilities here. Option one, maybe it's because their family doesn't have much affection for Mary, not to mention the child that clearly is not Joseph's. Mary and Joseph are forced to hang out with the animals because Joseph's family just can't get over the whole situation. Or alternatively, um, a more generous charitable explanation, and maybe even more likely, is uh, could be found in the explanation that many first century homes included a small manger in the small lower level uh, right inside the main living space. So a, as a matter of course, we could be finding that Mary and Joseph, they weren't snubbed at all, but instead Mary gave birth out in the middle of everything just because there wasn't enough room for uh, a privacy of uh, guest quarters built onto this house, or maybe they had too many people staying at the same time. Why is this important for us to, to know? The first is that it is important that we get an accurate idea of what Scripture is actually portraying, but also I think it helps us to know that Jesus understands family chaos around the holidays. Right? He understands what it's like to have family tension. He understands what it might be like to be 
in the middle of everything, have no place to find any privacy or any quiet at all. And uh, even if we're not getting it from this text in particular, his life bears that out. Jesus knows what it's like to be in lonely places. He knows what it's like to be rejected. For his own family members to think that he's crazy. He knows what it's like to not be able to find a quiet spot to be. Jesus knows what hecticness is like. Family drama is like. Take your pick. Being snubbed by family or overcrowded and overwhelmed, Jesus has been there. He's experienced both of these throughout his life. So whether your Christmas season is the idyllic picture of peace and joy, or hectic and overstimulating, or a sloppy mess of strained family relationships, or lonely and dejected, no matter the case, God is with you. Jesus understands what you're going through. The God of the universe chooses to be among us, chooses to invite us into the hard but joyous work of restoring the world, and chooses to be there in the midst of all of our messiness. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. An unexpected gift. That the God who made all things would give up everything to draw near to those who have often spurned and rejected him. And yet, he redeems, he reconciles, he saves. May we recognize this gift. All his value. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for every unexpected gift that you give us. Your mercies that are new morning after morning after morning, and all of the ways in which you surprise us with, with joy, with peace, and with the ways in which you invite us into relationship, reconciling with us, calling us into special role in the world that bears your kingdom witness. Lord, we know that sometimes the blessings that you give can call us into unexpected places or, or postures in which are not what we plan. Sometimes inconvenient, sometimes very uncomfortable. Well, with us is that blessing you with us all the difference. We receive you. We prepare you to